Hallelujah. Uh, I entitled today's message, um, Honoring the Mantle. And I actually was going to go with a little bit of a different direction. Um, I had planned on, on a little bit more on a vision casting kind of angle about the future. And the Lord spoke to me last night when I was praying, actually yesterday in the daytime, I spent almost the whole day just waiting on him. And he said to me, uh, uh, I don't know what time it was, 11 o'clock or whatever it was in the morning. He said, I want the, the vision, the future, casting vision is for the future. I want you to do that at a, at a later service, later in the month or early part of next year. He said, but I'm honoring the mantle service, which is the anniversary, the first year anniversary, which is today. He said, I want you to look at the past and I want you to honor the mantle from talking about the past and the lead up to it and then give them the seven, the seven uh, symbols that I gave you, the seven statements that I gave you during the fast about the mantle, which I don't think I've ever shared those statements publicly before. And uh, I shared them with my wife, of course, but not I don't think I've ever preached them. I've preached about them, but not those actual statements. And so I'm going to do that today. And I want to just share with you a little bit of the, there's new people watching. There's new people present. I know some of the veterans have heard this before. Some of what I'm going to share, you could maybe say it back to me. You know it well, but there's always new people and there's always people watching that don't know. And uh, members of our church that maybe can't come because of work or whatever, and they're watching at home after the fact. And so it's, it's important that when we talk about the mental, people understand what it is. And they understand why it came and why I make such a big deal about it. Because when things are precious and holy with God, he, he watches to see if people show enough reverence for it. And if they don't, uh, it displeases him and he'll give it to somebody that does show reverence for it. Okay. And so I'm going to start by playing you a clip uh, as though you were in the service. Because I want to transport you back to 2010, June the 28th, Monday morning. 2010. But this is our first service with Dr. Dufresne. We had rented a building in Oakville the year before, and he had come. But this, in terms of moving into our building, which we did in March 2010, and, 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 and there was a hallway down here. There was glass, glass windows right here, right here. And there was a zoo on this side. She had snakes, scorpions, rattlesnakes. She had, what else did she have? Parrots and birds and bunny rabbits and mice. And the mice kept reproducing all the time, and it was like a zoo. And because uh, there was a children's play place and they would come and pet the animals and stuff. And she was going out of business, but we shared the building for the first year or two. And she was on the side and this was our part of the sanctuary. And the stage was over there. And, and we, we had a half the size of the sanctuary, you know, because half the building. And Dr. Dufresne was coming. This is his first day in our church was Monday, June 20th. He never did morning services ever. He always started Monday night. He never, ever started Monday morning anywhere. But I was so hungry, I pleaded with him. And I said, doctor, please, I need every ounce that you can give me. I don't want, I'm not like everybody else. I'm special. <laughs> I should get an extra service because I'm Canadian. Canadians are, are dumber than Americans. I mean, I had, to, I had to play it up. We're a little dumber than the rest of you. We need extra. We need you to teach us a bit more. And so he made an exception. He's never done it for anybody else, but he made an exception for us. And he started Monday morning because I begged him. And I think partly because of my hunger and because of my honor, for him and for his office and for what I was expecting God to do. God didn't wait till the last part of the last service. God did the first part of the first service. As soon as the worship was over, Pastor Nancy was about to get up. The Spirit of God kind of came on her. She knew to wait a little bit. She didn't know why. And then doctor started to sing. First part of the first service. He's never sung before and he's never sung since. Most ministers that I know, in fact, every minister that I know that knew him has never ever heard him sing before. 
That was the only time he ever did it was right here in our church. And it was only a six-statement little song that he sang. But I'm just going to read to you what those six statements are because the microphone, I was scrambling to get the microphone and turn it on to put it up to his mouth because he just started singing standing beside me. And, and he wasn't even supposed to be doing that service. His wife was. She was already at the pulpit. And, and, and he, he's not mic'd. And so I'm trying to get the thing turned on so I can put it to his mouth. So we, I, I know what the first statement was, but you can't really hear it on the recording. But I'll just tell you, this is what he's saying. This is the place I've put my hand upon. This is the place I've put my approval on. This is the place where healing will flow. This is the place where my spirit can flow. This is the place that many will go out and preach my word. This is the place I've put my hand upon. Both first and last statement was I put my hand upon. And then he shared about the mantle for about seven minutes. And I want to transport you back to that service as though you were there, even though you weren't. Many of you weren't. Some of you were because we had a much smaller congregation at that time. But would you just listen to his words? Because I feel to honor the mantle, it's important that we honor the man that God used the prophet to speak about it. And before you listen, I just want to say he saw years before that in the church that I was in and associate pastoring in. And before I even joined that other church, so this is many years back, he had an open vision just like he did at our church. He saw the roof disappear. He saw the hand of God come out of heaven, a large hand, man's hand. He saw the hand pick up a mantle, what just looked like a garment, like, what, like a mantle, like Elisha's mantle kind of thing, Elijah's mantle, like a garment. It represented the anointing. He saw in that first vision back in the 90s, early 90s, in this other church, he saw this hand pick up this mantle and drop it on a church by the lake. God didn't tell him the name of the church. He didn't tell him the date. But he showed him and he saw the revival that sprung up because of the mantle down at the lake shore. Then he saw time pass. He didn't exactly know how long because in a vision you don't know every detail. But he saw that hand come back and pick that mantle up and move it up. He said it moved like a crane almost and moved it up exactly north, exactly north, a little bit north, and drop it again on another church. And he saw that church had great influence. And then he saw that that church started to go off. And he saw that hand come and pick up that mantle and move it to the left or west. And drop it on another church. And that was the church he was in years ago. And then in this church, he saw, same thing, the roof disappeared. He, so with his eyes wide open, the roof disappeared. This church didn't have a roof. He saw God's hand come out of heaven and pick that mantle up off that church in Mississauga and move it over to the east. And he saw it drape over this entire building in an open vision. And that's when he started to sing. And then he stood up and he started to speak. And I just wanted to say to you, that's why I make a big deal about holy things. Because in, this is 2010, we're 2021. He died in 2013. So between 2010 and 2013, I had many hours of conversation with him privately about what he saw and about different things. And, and what he actually saw, which I could tell him, but he didn't know, is that, and then of course, after he died, I did more research and I found even more out that I couldn't tell him because he'd already gone home to be with the Lord. But Amy Simple McPherson sent Willard Pierce, one of her associate pastors, to Toronto because she was from Southern Ontario. I've been to the house where she was born in, in Southern Ontario. In fact, the government of Ontario has a plaque in the park that says in honor of Reverend Amy Simple McPherson, one of the greatest evangelists Canada has ever produced, and there's a plaque of her honor in brass in that park in Southern Ontario. And I've been there. 
and, and she was from Canada, southern Ontario. She loved Canada. She went to the state. She did Angela's Temple, massive work. She had a heart, and God said, send back one of your ministers with your anointing, with your mantle, to Canada, and I will do a great work there. And so she sent Willard Pierce. He came in 1917. Interesting that exactly 100 years later, God started talking to me in 2017. But he came in 1917, and in 1924 to 1932, for eight years, there was the largest revival in Canadian history at Bond Street. That's where 15,000 converts and many more that weren't recorded, and many thousands of healings that weren't recorded, but 15,000 people that wrote cards and joined that church and got saved through that revival. And that's what he saw. That mantle of Amy Simple McPherson came on that church. They called it Angelus Temple North because it was Canada. Then they decided to change the name to Evangel Temple. And the pictures I've shown you in the past, I have pictures, historic pictures of it down there in Bond Street. It says Evangel Temple, you can see. But that first was called Angelus Temple North because it was Amy Simple McPherson's plant. And then over time, that's what he saw, the mantle. Then over time, you know, with different pastors coming and sometimes with the generational change, pastors don't have the same heart as the previous people. They don't have the same hunger as the previous people. And so it waned. And then he saw that come straight up. And the new Evangel Temple, which was the, it stayed on Bond Street for many years. And then it moved up in the early 80s up to York Mills and Young Street. And that's also called Evangel Temple because it was the same church, just moved locations. In fact, the pastor that told me about this, who was the pastor at Evangel in 2014, his father was the last pastor of the Bond Street Evangel Temple. And so, so he, he had grown up in the Bond Street, and then he was the pastor in 2014. He's since moved on now, but he told me a lot of the history on all this because his father told him, and he was the last pastor at the Bond Street Church. So I got a lot of this from him. He taught me this this pastor, previous pastor, told me all this history about Evangel. And when I came to Canada, God led my mother go to Evangel Temple. And I grew up at Evangel Temple. And I, and I did every department of ministry of helps except the counting. They wouldn't let me count money, which I was very upset about. But I guess they didn't want teenagers in there. And I, and I went through every minister, all 40-something ministry of helps, every single department I served in, including the television department, every department. I, went, I preached my first sermon with Pastor Bud sitting in the front row, smiling. And he put his arm around me and said, good job, son. When I was 16, I grew up in that church. God had me around that mantle because the mantle was on that church. And he knew the mantle was coming on me and he wanted me to serve. See, if you don't serve something, you don't get it. This is what the new, newfangled people don't understand in the society. It's just serve me, serve me, serve me. God's system is you serve, not be served. Unless you're in Barbados with a butler, then it's different. Okay. But in, in regular life, it's about serving, not being served. And God knows there's a, there's a, if you're not faithful in another man's, the Bible says you can't have your own. So God knows his word and he doesn't violate his word. And he knew in his foreknowledge, the mantle is coming on Craig and his church. He therefore must serve that mantle and serve another man's work and be faithful in little, or I can't give him ruler over much and I can't give him his own. So I was in that church serving for years. Didn't even know the mantle existed. And then, of course, when it changed over, God led me and my wife supernaturally go to that church. And I was under that mantle, the same mantle on a different church. I didn't know about it because nobody talked about it in that church. But some of you, Willie and others, were there in that service when Dr. Dufresne first had the vision and when the mantle came on that church. But I didn't even know about it because nobody talked about it. There was no honor shown for it. 
But God still had me in that church. You see, even though there's no, sometimes they don't know about it, like, the, like Evangel, they didn't even know it was there. And the other church, they didn't show honor, even though they knew it was there. But God still have you around it. It doesn't matter how other people are treating it. He still wants you around it. So he had me there serving for years in that church and then working in that church. Just like I I worked at Evangel on staff for a short time and I worked at the next church. He had me under that mantle because he knew the day was coming where we would branch out, launch out on our, into the deep, so to speak, on our own, and where now that mantle, not because we're better, but just because we made a decision that we don't, we're not trying to make a big church, although bigness will come. We're not trying to just get everybody happy with us, although we'd like people to be happy with us. We're trying to go with the Word and the Spirit. If you don't like it, leave. And, and that's what most pastors don't, they won't say that. Oh, well, you know, you can have sex. It's okay. You can, you can, you can do threesomes. You can do this. You, you don't have to tithe. You don't have to do this. No. We, we, we have to have a standard of righteousness in this church. And I can't tell you how many people have left over the years because they say you're too strict. You're too aggressive. You're too much on the word. How can you be too much on the word? How is that possible? But I've been accused of that. The most famous accusation is you're old school. Well, if I'm old school, I guess Jesus is old school. And if he's old school, I want to be old school. If he's new school, I want to be new school. Whatever school he is, that's what I want. But I can't tell you how many have left over the years because they don't like, they don't like that standard. But that reason why we have the mantle, brothers and sisters, is because we've maintained the standard. So that first church lost it, and God told Dr. Dufresne why they lost it. They lost it because they got onto the psychology side of ministry instead of in the Word and the Spirit. But that church, doctor would always tell me, I had a word for that church, the second church, when I was at as a kid. I knew, and God, he knew he was going to have a vision in that church. He was going to see the mantle, but they wouldn't invite him. And so he never went there. He never preached because the pastor wouldn't invite him. So it matters who you have in the pulpit because you don't have the right people in the pulpit, you won't hear from God right. God doesn't just show everything to the pastor because he's a pastor. You need the other offices and what their giftings bring. So that church didn't go, they, they couldn't respond right because they didn't know. And if they'd known, they would have probably stayed on track. But they didn't know, so they got off. The second church did invite him. And he came, that's where he had the first vision. But the second church made an even grosser error is that they never showed any honor or any reverence for what the prophet spoke. And when you don't pay attention to what God says and show honor for it and show interest in it, God will take it off you. But he'll give you time. He'll give you a season. He gave many years, many years. Think about from early 90s until 2010. Look at that. Almost 20 years he gave mercy. Mercy, mercy, trying to get, talk about it, pray about it, show honor for it, show respect for it. And, they, and in fact, when I got there in 2001, I'd never heard of it once, and it was never once spoken of in all the years I was there. That's not right. And then they got off into that seeker-sensitive flow where you don't want to offend anybody, and we don't have healing, and we don't talk about tongues, and we don't do all this because that might offend somebody. And God took it off them. And he took it off them on June 28, 2010. That's when he saw this roof disappear. I'm trying to give you the history. We're not better than anyone. It's got nothing to do with God having favorites or despair on anybody or disparaging anybody. When I got in the back room and he yelled at me and he said, and don't you mess this up. People have been messing it up for a hundred years. Don't mess it up. And I was quivering and Pastor Nancy came, put her arm around me and said, calm down, Pastor Craig. You know, because I was literally hyperventilating. He freaked me out. When Dr. Frame screams at you and a fire shoots out of his eyes and he's three feet away from you, you see if you don't wet your pants. 
and she had to come and comfort me and she's not a, that kind of a person. No. Pastor Nancy's not a super comforting person. She's just not, that's just not her personality. So for her to come and put her arm around me and comfort me, that's like a miracle in and of itself. And I went home shaken and stirred like a martini. I was both shaken and stirred. And I went home and I prayed all afternoon and I said, God, what is he talking about? What is this mental? I don't know. I just want to be a nice little pastor. Why are you asking me to do all this? I didn't sign up for this. I don't even want to be a pastor. Why do you keep giving me stuff? I don't even, I'm not even asking. I'm not looking for it. And he gave me a scripture, which I'll read to you in a minute from Joshua chapter 5. And he showed me how when Joshua came with our drawn sword to, Jesus came with the drawn sword to Joshua. And Jesus said, he said, are you for me or are you for our enemies? In other words, he was showing distinction. And the Lord, which the Bible says in chapter 6, he was the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ. So basically we can say accurately Jesus. He didn't know his name was Jesus, but it was Jesus before he came to the earth. He visited the earth many times, and you'll see where it says the Lord, L-O-R-D, in capital letters. That means the pre-incarnate Jesus was there. And Jesus spoke to him and said, I'm not for you, and I'm not for your enemies. I'm for God. I have come for God's plan. Whoever is on the side of God's plan is who I'm on the side with. That is such a balanced answer. It is not he's for us and he's against the other church. It's nothing to do with picking and choosing. We're not better. We don't swell our heads in pride. He didn't pick us because we're better. He picked us because we picked him. He simply looked and said, who will do my plan? Because that church wants to do it their way. Remember, remember Sinatra? I want to do it my way. Well, that's what a lot of pastors sing, whether they realize it or not. It's in their worship album. I want to do it my way. And he looked and said, they want to do it their way. And this church wants to do it their way. Is there anybody that will do it my way, even if they lose people in the process, even if they're persecuted and hated? And he saw a young pup named Craig and he said, that boy's just crazy enough to do it my way, not his way. I'm taking the mantle off and I'm giving it to him, not because I'm, he's better or anything like that. In fact, he's less educated than all the others. Yes, true. If you look at them all, I'm the least educated. Yeah, but he said, he goes my way. I just decided I wanted to go with the word and the spirit. I don't care what the cost is. And that's the only reason he picked us. He's not for us or our enemies. Not that there are enemies, but you know what I mean. He's not for us or not against somebody else. He's just coming. I'm, st I'm here for God. Whoever wants to be on God's side, I'll work with you. And I said, I want to be. I'm not saying that they're not on God's side. I'm just saying what this city requires is not going to be accomplished by namby-pamby, seeker-sensitive, psychological-type right. churches. Yeah. It's not. It's going to take a revival of the fire and power of God. We are dealing with homosexuals. We are dealing with, with 42,000 genders now. I've lost count how many genders there are. We are dealing with darkness on an epic scale. You don't overcome that with nice little sermons and with seeker-sensitive where you can sin and do whatever you want. God understand no he doesn't he doesn't understand you don't get revival by, by by watering down and compromising the bible or by going a different psychological route you go you get a revival by lots of prayer and fasting and waiting on god and by staying with the word and the move of the spirit that's the only way and god knows that i'm like that and that's why he picked me not because i'm smarter or better or more educated because i'm none of those but he picked me because i'm stubborn like a bulldog when I know it's true, you, you can pull my fingernails out. I won't, I won't yield to you. And I hope they don't, by the way. I'm not interested in that. It looks very painful. 
But I'm telling you, I'm, 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 I'm aggressive like that. And that's why he picked us. I didn't even know there was a mantle because they never talked about it. So on that June 28th, when he talked, it was news to me. Not to you, Willie. You knew about it. Some other, Marjorie Ann, who's gone home to be with Jesus, was in that service when he had the first vision. She knew about it. But I didn't know about it because the pastors refused to talk about it because they showed no honor for it. So when I heard there's a mantle, there was a mantle in another church, I was shocked. First time I'd ever heard about it. And then all of a sudden, it's like, one thing if you know it and you're kind of praying it out, I didn't even know it existed and all of a sudden it's on me. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, I don't even know it exists. And then the next minute, as soon as I know it exists, it's on me. But then I realized I've been serving it since I came to Canada without even knowing it. You You can't make that stuff up. That's God's divine hand. What the old timers would call the hand of providence guiding you without you even really knowing half the time that he's guiding you. I'm telling you this today because I need you to understand why it's important that we talk about it. Because we've gone through a very long journey to get to where we are. So listen to Dr. Dufresne as he sings and then as he talks for about seven minutes and then I'll come back. Go ahead. This is the place I have put my This is the place where healing will flow. This is the place where my spirit can flow. This is the place that many will go out and preach my word. This is the place I have put my hand I was at a, another church here in town preaching and ministering. friend of mine, still consider a friend of mine. And I got caught up in the spirit. Now, I, I, I've gotten in this city. I've been, I, I've been speaking in this city for many years. And I've been, uh, had visions and uh, some, I think some of you are here when I've been in uh, those churches and seen things. Like for one, I saw, I saw a, a spirit that had kangaroo legs. Some of you remember that. And I took authority over that. And at that time, it just didn't seem like that church would grow. But I took authority over that thing. 
Actually, there was two spirits. There was one left over from the previous administration. And then there was another one that just kept it from growing. And that kangaroo thing was just jumping here and there and jumping there. And it was just people just jumping from church to church, church tramps spirit. <laughs> like God. But when my wife was men, see, these things pertain to the spirit. I know that's probably the direction I'll go tonight, that, that scripture. But then I was sitting in the chair one, 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 one morning. My wife was teaching prayer. And I, there's some of you here that were in those meetings. My wife was teaching on the subject of prayer. And I got caught up in the spirit just like I did right then. And See, I can't sing. Unless <laughs> the anointing comes on you, on me. I sang that out of my spirit because God gave me a vision when I was sitting there. Well, I had that vision in that church. I, I saw, I saw, uh, I saw a church downtown to Toronto, way downtown, and it was around the turn of the century. They had a revival. See, God has been endeavoring to, to move in this area of Canada. Mm -hmm. I was just over in Edmond, man. I was just preaching over there. And but I, I, every time I think of Toronto, I, I just my spirit, I. Cry out for this city. Because God's one endeavor. Well, that old church around the turn of the century is downtown. I forget the name. But maybe it's not necessary to mention the name. And God moved in that in that church. See, he moved in that church, but then it and, and then it weaned. And then it went over to another church. That some of you that are in here, you came out of that church. And then it went on to my friend's church. I saw that. And he said, now, 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 now it's on them. But now they have chosen to go a different direction. And now God said, it's on this place. Hallelujah. Very reluctant to say that. God kept dealing with it. I'll do it in private. He said, no, you got to say it in public. That's not bringing despair on anybody or anything else. You got to understand that. No. Are you listening to me? It's saying what the Spirit says. But it has to do the things that pertain to the Spirit. I know. I, I've lost friends from moving with the Spirit. I've lost friends from going going with anointing of God. You see, every time God's moving in a different way, you got to move with it. If you don't, you just become a club you understand what i'm talking about hallelujah i don't go out of here and say i talk despair against anybody whatsoever i'm talking about the things that pertain to the spirit let's don't let's don't get into the flesh and and mean it something it didn't mean but god's hands on this place god raised it up his hand approval is on it hallelujah Glory be to God. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. And how many times that he has come to this city and wanting to move by his spirit and it starts moving, then after a few years or something, they go, they get in the flesh and get this and get this and do that and do that and miss it, what God wants to do. 
Because this is going to be a move of the gifts of the Spirit. The things that pertain to the Spirit, He's going to move in a strong way in this area. I got excited when I was invited to come in, back in the city. I haven't been here in many, many, many years except for that other meeting that we had with Pastor Greg. Craig. And uh, I got excited again because I love the city. Always felt good about this city and what God wants to do. Are you listening to me? So let's just raise our hand, not that we're big shots or above anybody else, but let's just praise him and thank him for his move. Thank him for this week. Thank him for what he's going to do this week and what he's going to do in the future. We just thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, you heard him. That's what happened in 2010. So allow me to give you, uh, I'm going to share some, some seven um, symbols of the mantle now in a second. But I just want to remind you of this, which I never said before the recording. Uh, in 2004, this is before the church even started. Um, we started in eight, right? So this is four years before the church started. In the fall of 2004, we were going to go to Peru. We were down there doing a scouting trip, meeting with the pastor that we were going to live, work for and, and, and basically help his church until we launched out and did our own church. And I'm sitting there in the service. There's a large thousand people in Lima, Peru, large church. We were about the fourth row back in the mid-right section, I remember. And doctor was preaching. Dr. Dufresne, first time I'd ever seen him. First time he'd ever seen me. I didn't know him. He didn't know me. And he walked out of the pulpit and he came up to me and he said, stand up. And he said, are you a pastor? I said, no. He said, do you want to be a pastor? I said, no. And he says, well, then I don't understand this, but I see, I see in the spirit about your ministry. And he started to talk about the ants, what I call the ant prophecy. And he said, I see them coming. I see them coming to your church. I see them coming by the thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands. They are coming in rows like ants would come to an anthill. They are coming in rank and file from every direction of the compass. They come. And he prophesied. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to be a pastor. I don't know what he's talking about, but Lord, I don't know what that means, but I guess I'll just put it on the shelf. And then, the, and Lord, years later, the Lord said to me, do you remember when David was privately anointed by Samuel the prophet, but nobody else knew about it, but just his brothers. It was private. He said, that was the prophet speaking about the mantle that was coming because you can't have that kind of influx without a mantle, without a special anointing. And he said, that was your, in the courtyard of Jesse's house, that was your private experience. It was public, but nobody knew me except the senior pastor of that church. Not one congregation member knew me. Doctor didn't know me. So from that perspective, it was done in public, but it was still a private setting from that perspective. And then for six years, there was silence from God. While he gave me time to position, I had to, I had to quit this Peru notion. I had to go and work for this other church where the mantle was on because he had to have me serve the mantle. I had to work there for two years. We had to get into the plan of God. We had to plant this church from nothing with my mother, my, my mother-in-law, my mother, and four other congregation members, three of which got offended and left, and, uh, and one who's gone now home to be with the Lord, Marjorie Ann Dyke. We started in our living room with nothing. And he, but all of that, and then it grew. We went to Lorraine's basement and it continued growing to 88 people. Then we moved in this building in 2010, March. And this, what you just heard, was June 2010. And it took us six years from 2004 to 2010 just to get positioned right. If you don't get positioned, you won't fulfill the plan of God. 
And that applies not just to ministers, but all of you. You've got to get positioned where God wants you in business. You've got to get positioned in education. You've got to get the right spouse. You've got to, you've got to be in the right local church. You've got, to, you've got to get positioned. And sometimes people never fulfill their potential because they didn't even hit the first peg, which was positioning. It took us six years to get our act together, and he was so patient. But finally, he sees we're ready, and then phase two comes, which was the same prophet speaking about the same mantle, but now in much more clearer language than the end prophecy. And it was in public. It was for everybody to hear. And that was a beginning of another six years. And from 2010 to 2016, those six years were years where God was proving and testing me to see if I would do what the previous church did. I already, I already overcame the first church. I had the right guy in the pulpit. But the second church had the right guy, but they showed dishonor. He wanted to see, are you going to, are you going to take it seriously? Or do I have to find somebody else? Because remember, I'm not for you or for them or not for you and not for them. I'm for the plan. Are you going to take it seriously? And for six years, he watched me. And I felt the whole time, I'd said it many times, for those of you that were here, I said, I feel like God's watching me. I don't understand why, but I feel like God's watching me. He's watching me. I don't know why he's watching me, but I feel like a holy fear. He was watching to see if I would research it which I did extravagantly and in a lot of hours. He would watch me see if I'd pray. I can't tell you how many hundreds of hours I spent praying about the mantle. What does it mean? What is it? Because you can't just know what God has said. You've got to interpret what he says rightly and you've got to get the right timings. Half the time people, especially ministers, fail because God says something and they try to run off to do it right away. And then they misinterpret what he was even talking about because just because God talks to you doesn't mean that's the big cheese. Okay? The big deal is not him talking to you. The big deal is you waiting on him long enough for him to clarify what he meant. People need clarity so that they interpret what was said right. How many ministers and business owners and people have got off in marriage and business and this and that and everything else in life because they thought they heard God, but they never took the time to wait for the clarity so that they would interpret what he said right. And it took hundreds of hours and six long years of waiting on him to show, to get clarity of the interpretation and the timing. Timing is so critical. Because God has things set for a certain time. You try to do it before, you'll fail. You try to do it after, you'll fail. And it took six long years. And then finally, at the end of 2016, Willie, uh, and I heard your voice on that recording. Thank God. And I heard Daryl's voice as well. Um, but but, but uh, at the end of 2016 was my 25-year ministry anniversary. And God said to me, a season is ending and a new season is beginning. Well, obviously, he means the 25 years and, what, and that has nothing to do with what he's talking about. Yeah. You see, so just because he says something and you've got a, a preconceived notion, well, this is 25 years, so that must be what you're talking about. That's why you wait on him. Right. I waited on him and I said, Lord, you said the season is ending. I think it means that. Does it mean that? And he said, no. If I hadn't have asked him, he wouldn't have told me no. Yeah. And it took me time between October and December of 2016, three months of waiting on him for him to say, I'm not talking about your 25-year anniversary. I don't care about that. And God doesn't care about those things at all. I'm talking about the season has changed because for six years I've watched you. And you're finally, I can trust you now that you have talked about it, shown respect for it, shown honor for it, sufficient, prayed about it, interpreted it right sufficiently that now a new season in 2017 dawns. Yes. Are you listening to me? Yes. 
And he said to me, now this is freaky. You couldn't plan this. You couldn't, I don't even understand. My mind still struggles with it. But this is, this is what we call the hand of providence. And I know a lot of Holy Ghost people don't like that phrase, but there really is no other way to say it. God does certain things that are beyond you and aside from you, and you're just along for the ride, and yet we're so control freaks, we want to try to control everything that he does. And there's some things he does, and you just can't control them. And you find out after what he did, and it shocks you. And you realize, wow, he really is God. And he said to me at the end of 16, he said, it has been a hundred years since the simple McPherson mantle came to the shores of Ontario. That's 1917. And he said, and now on the hundredth year anniversary, I am going to speak to you in 17 about the mantle and to prepare for its arrival because now you have passed the test that you have shown honor for it. Six years to get positioned and six years to show honor. Are you with me? This is, I'm talking about this so that you understand how important this is to God. And so, in January 17th, I'll never forget, January 17th, 2000 and, uh, and, uh, 2017, January 17th, Jesus walked in my living room. I didn't see him, but he walked in. And he started talking to me. It was about two in the morning, and he talked to me probably about six in the morning, all night. And, 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 and I wrote page after page after page after page after page, and that's when he showed me. I didn't know it before that day, but he said, there is a parallel to the life of David and the life of you, your life. And he said, don't take that in a way that I don't mean it, but there is a parallel. And he showed me there was 15 years from the time he entered Saul's employ. That's long before he killed the giant. He entered Saul's employ when he was 14 years old, when he would play the harp and the spirit would leave him. There was 14, 15 years from the time he entered the employ of Saul until the time Saul died and he sat down on the throne of his own, of his own as a king himself in Hebron. Yes. And all that time he was in the caves, he was in Ziglag, he was on the run, he was fearing for his life. Obviously the early days he was working for Saul, he was the chief of his army, he was his armor bearer, and then he tried to kill him, do you remember? And he ran, all that was 15 years. And the Lord said to me, from the time that I prophesied to you, just like the time that Samuel prophesied to David, it has been 15 years in 2019, will be the end of 15 years. It started in 2004. Do you remember with the Peru prophecy? And he said, in, in 2019, a season of time has come to an end. And then he said, for the first six years, and he told me. And then it's for the second six years, which was just ending at that time, he told me. He said, now that you've proven yourself worthy of the mantle that Dr. Dufresne prophesied about six years ago, he said, now you're entering three years of preparation. Take special attention to these three years because you must pass these tests if you're going to receive the mantle in 2020. God's not in a rush. I've learned that with him. He's not a drive-through God. He's a fine dining. Let that chef prepare it and you wait hungry. It's what he's like. He's like a fine French restaurant. The chef's not in any rush. Not like McDonald's. And so he told me, he said, just like Elisha went with Elijah on a journey to get the mantle and he stopped at Bethel, Jericho, and Jordan. There will be three stations in your preparation, 17, 18, and 19. Each year will be a station. He said, Bethel is where I spoke to him and I will speak much in the year 2017. Jericho is a year of beginnings, the beginning of conquest, and many things will start in your ministry in 18. And the Jordan is a, is a, speaks of, of, of a settling and coming into a new, every, they would always cross the Jordan when they'd go into a new place. Jesus crossed the Jordan and then he went into fast. 
blessed and he entered into his ministry. The children of Israel crossed the Jordan just before they took the promised land. Jacob crossed the Jordan just before he wrestled with God at Peniel. It is always when you see crossing of a Jordan, it always speaks of the ending of one season, the beginning of another. It's a settling into the new plan that God has for your future. And he said, so it will be a year of speaking, a year of starting, and a year of settling. 17, 18, 19, he said, pay attention to these three years and do exactly what I tell you, for you have passed the tests of honor and positioning, but now you must prepare for it cometh. I'll never forget that. January 17, 17, it was a very holy thing. And so we, we continued on, and he talked a lot in 17. My God, he talked a lot. And in 18, that's when Pastor Matthew came. That's when the aviation department came into my, that's when the building, instruction on the building and what to do with the building came. A lot of starts happened in 18. And in 19, we were settling into this new thing. We were getting ready. There was a lot of prophecies. God was preparing me. And then in 2020, he said, now as he crested, as he crested the eastern bank of the, of the, of the Jordan River, Elijah with his spiritual father, Elisha with his spiritual father, Elijah, they're walking on the plain of Jordan. He said, that is your 2020 mental year. He said, the mental is coming in 2020. The mental that Dr. Dufresne prophesied about. Oh, do you understand why this is a big deal? Yes. Because everything from before this church was even birthed, four years before we even started the church, God had the mantle on his mind. When I was not positioned right, headed in the wrong direction in ministry, God had the mantle on his mind. What is the mantle? The mantle is a special anointing. It's a grace. It's an empowerment for a divine assignment and specifically the apostle's office. When Elisha picked up the mantle, what was he doing? It wasn't just that God needed him to have anointing for the sake of having an anointing. It was to help him get into the prophet's office because in the prophet's office, all the work happened. Why did the mantle come to get me and this church into the apostle's office? That's why Randy and Mark of last year before COVID, he said that's an apostolic work. You're an apostolic church. There'll be a grace on you for that because not every church member can handle the pressure of an apostolic work. A lot of church members just, just feed me, change my diaper. I go out, I come back. Don't really tell me what to do. An apostolic work is different. You are required to do something. Live right. Fight with me, pray, evangelize, seek God. It's not a sit back in the hammock type of church. It's a warring church. And not everybody wants that, but there's a grace and anointing and empowering that will come on you to run with that vision. It's an apostolic anointing. It's an apostolic office. I needed the mantle to step into that office. I can't do that office, Jenny, without that mantle. I was not in it until December 12th, a year ago today. At 2.45 in the morning, God said to me, it's going to come in the early hours of December 12th. There's a lot more I can share that's private that I can't. But he said to me, there's a lot of reasons for that, but I won't get into it. And he said, I want you to wait on me. All day I was waiting on him on the 11th. I didn't drink water, nothing. And he said, from midnight to 3 a.m., I want you to wait on me. It will come at the end of that three hours. And so I just lay before him and waited. I was so weak. I'm telling you, I was so weak after 40 days, no food. And then 27 hours, no water. I was so weak. And about 2.45, he said, Neil, Jesus walked into that room. I'm telling you, I could feel him. He walked right into that room. He said, I have come to anoint you. He said, Neil, 
I tried to kneel. I was so weak. My, I, I, was, I was convulsing uncontrollably because I couldn't even properly kneel. I was so weak. Two angels came. One stood on my right. One stood on my left. They put their hands. I felt their hands on my shoulder. As soon as they touched me, strength came into my body. That's scriptural because they strengthened Elijah on his journey. They strengthened Jesus in the garden. Strength came up. All the convulsing stopped. I felt like I had just eaten a meal. And I immediately perked up. All that tiredness and that weakness and that uncontrollable shaking left me. And I, and I knelt perfectly straight and strong before him. And I put my hands, I said, Lord, I'm ready. And I felt a hot oil come over my head. It went right down, right down, right down, all the way down. I felt it go down my hands. And he spoke to me and he said, I have anointed you. The mantle has come. The mantle Dr. Dufresne prophesied about that you have shown honor for and that you have sought me diligently for. It has now come. This is a day of new beginnings for you. December the 12th will always be your day of new beginnings. It will be the marker in your ministry from this time forward. Everything before now has been preparation. All the years of ministry has been preparation. And everything from this moment forward will be the apostle's office that I've called you to stand in. That's why it's a big deal, brother and sister. That's why this is holy to God. Amen. This is our first year anniversary for it. Not every 12th of December is going to fall on a Sunday. In fact, probably very few of them will. So the fact that the first one fell on a Sunday, and then I was going away on holiday, and I started to get nervous because this Omicron thing didn't happen until we were already on the beach. And they were telling people that if you come back to Canada, you're going to have to quarantine until you get a COVID test result, which can take up to three days. And I would have missed the service. And I'm sitting there on the beach and I'm thinking, Lord, the vacation wasn't more important than the mental service, but I know you told me to come on this vacation. What are we going to do? And he said, just trust me. I said, how do I trust you? There's people there with COVID tests that would have stick it up my nose. <laughs> and then when they, when, they, when they make you stay at home, I'm going to miss Sunday morning. And so I get, I'm really nervous in the airport. I'm walking through looking for anybody and I try not to make eye contact with people, you know. <laughs> And there's signs everywhere, random testing. If you're selected, you have to go to this room. And, and, then, and, then, and, then, they, and then I saw another sign. You, you will be randomly selected at customs. So I got to customs. I was the first one in the line. There's about five officers. They're all empty. And they're all looking at me. And they're waving at me. And I, I, I remember I said to the Lord, Father, I'm not missing that service. So whichever one of these is full of the devil, you need to show me. Because I'm not taking no tests and I'm not quarantining for the result. I don't have COVID. You know I don't have COVID. I've just taken a test in Barbados that says I don't have COVID. I've taken so many tests. I don't know how many. I, I can do it myself. I just tell the nurse, let me give it to you. I'm so good at it. I know what to do. And the Holy Ghost highlighted a man to me and he said, go to him. And the other ones are waving. I just I didn't even look at them. I just walked right over to him. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good. How are you? And he let me. They were pulling out other people. And he let me right through. Like Moses through the Red Sea. <laughs> Woo! Like Moses through the Red Sea of COVID. I made it through. I said, Lord, I have to be here for the service because this is an honor to God. This is our one-year anniversary, and it's important to God. And then, of course, as we entered that 2020 year, he said there's going to be four things. Remember, I've said this many times. I many of you don't remember. I don't know. Maybe you do. But he said the first thing that they did is they talked amongst themselves. He said, you will have time with your spiritual parents like Elisha did with Elijah. And in January, February, March, I had a lot of time with Pastor Nancy and Brother Gur. never had any time with any of them after that point. Then he said, the next thing is the distraction of the fiery horses. And that was COVID. Yes. 
A lot of churches were closing. A lot of pastors were getting disheartened. And he said, stay on the cutting edge. Whatever the government lets you do, do it. If they let you meet, meet right away. Don't get distracted. Keep your eye on the prize of the ministry. And we went through that season of that summer. Do you remember, Lorraine? It was a tough summer. There was so much upheaval and unknown going on. But that was the great fiery horse of distraction. At least for us it was. I don't know about other pastors, but for me it was. And I kept my eye. And then the last thing he did, the third thing he did was he ripped his garments. And the Lord said to me, oh, I remember that, Taylor. I remember exactly when that was. And that was scary. It was just before we went up to that little holiday that we went with our kids up at the lake. And he said to me, he said, I'm asking you to rip your fleshly garments. I said, what does that mean? He said, I want you to put your flesh under. I said, what does that mean? I thought I had put my flesh under. He said, oh, no. He said, I'm calling you to a 40-day fast water only. Will you accept that offering that I'm giving you? And I said, oh, God, please, no. Oh, God, please, no. And it took me a little bit of time. But he offered it to me as a gift. And then he said, worthy. Oh, to be counted worthy. To walk in the footsteps of the master. Every day for 40 days, I repeated that to myself. Because I felt many times like I couldn't keep going. And I would say, oh, to be counted worthy, to, be, to walk in the footsteps. Because Jesus did it, and he picked up his anointing in that wilderness. And he said, I'm asking you, to, this is your ripping of the garment. He couldn't pick the mantle up till he ripped his garment. He said, will you do this? The mantle will come at the end. All these years has led up to this 40 days, and all these 40 days has led up to this moment. I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I'm just telling you the facts. And that's what happened, and that mantle came. Praise God. And it's now been a year today. And he said this year will be persecution, obstacles basically, and revelation. And we've had more obstacles and persecution than all of my 30 years of ministry put together in this year. He truly kept his word. And I didn't want him to keep, I wanted him to be missing it on that one. Well, Lord, I sense you're missing it. But he wasn't missing it. It was a heavy persecution and obstruction year. But we have overcome it all. And he said, much revelation. The waters of revelation like the Jordan opened up before Elisha. And I'm telling you, he has shown us so much that I can't even tell you. I said, Lord, let me tell them what I see. And you know what he said to me? And I'm not, now don't get offended by the statement. If you're offended, you're fleshly anyway. So I can't help you. But, but just don't be offended by the statement. He said to me, some of the things I've shown you for the future, you cannot tell them. And I said, why? He, and I'm honest with you. He said, because there are few spiritual ones in your church. I said, what do you mean? They come faithfully. They tithe. They are in ministry of helps. What do you mean few? He said, just because you show up and tithe doesn't make you spiritual. And I thought that was the qualifying thing of being spiritual. He said, lots of people can show up and tithe and serve. That doesn't make them spiritual. I said, well, then what does make us spiritual? He said, those that have a prayer life. Are you listening to me? He said, few in your church have a prayer life that I approve of. Are you listening to me? Few in your church have a prayer life that I approve of. That means you're busy, 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 busy. That means you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off and you're being a Martha. And all he asks is for you to be a Mary. He just wants you to sit and wait and pray and seek him. 
And until you do that, God does not count you as spiritual. Do you really want to stand before Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, the almighty God, the everlasting Savior? Do you want to stand before him and him look at you and say, I love you so much. Come and enjoy heaven. But I just want you to know you don't have on your record for all eternity, you will be counted as a non-spiritual one. Because you were busy, but you didn't pray. You didn't wait on me and seek me. So the Lord said to me, I, you cannot share certain things you've seen for the future. And there is stuff that I've seen that's coming, both in this country and in our foreign works. There's certain things he showed me, very clear, many visions. He said, do not say it publicly. I said, why? He said, because there are few spiritual ones in the congregation with prayer lives I approve of. I said, well, then I still don't understand. Why can't I say it? He said, if you say it prematurely, until the waters of spirituality has risen in your congregation, they will have, this is how we phrase it to me, they will have Sunday afternoon dining room discussion about what you've said. I don't, how, how do you say that? I don't, how that's going to happen? And he said, and their words around their dinner table will abort my plan for this church. It is very important what you say, even in private, about the vision. Your words being in, you have authority in the spiritual realm. If you're in this congregation, you have a certain amount of authority in your voice because you're part of this mantle. If you speak against what I say, you can actually cause the vision to be delayed and possibly aborted. Are you with me? So he said, until they're able to guard their mouths and receive what you say in their hearts and not in their minds. If I told you some of the things that were going to happen, you would process it mentally and you'd say that's impossible. Then you'd start talking about why it's impossible. And on the fringe of that is why I'm crazy to even talk about it. And that will hurt the vision. So he said, don't share certain things until the spirituality level rises. Then they can process it in their spirit because they have prayer lives. Then they even though it looks impossible to their mind, they'll agree with it with their mouth. And then the vision will go forward. So there's stuff that I know that's coming. He's even told me exactly certain years what's going to happen. I've seen certain things as I've been waiting on God. But I can't talk about it publicly because I know that I can't risk it being aborted because of, of non-spiritual people's words. So don't pat yourself on the back too much just because you show up. That is baseline expectation in the kingdom of God. Just to show up, you get no rewards for that. You're just basically there. You show up in grade 12, they don't pat you on the back. No. You, they expect you to show up. In the army, you don't get promoted because you show up. In fact, you get kicked out if you don't. Are you with me? Showing up, tithing, serving, basic prayer, evangelism, all of this stuff is so basic. The agape points is baseline. You don't get any pats on the back for tithing. He expects you to honor him. Just like a, like a colonel expects you to say, yes, sir. You don't get a pat on the back because you say, yes, sir. If you don't get, yes, sir, you get thrown in the brig. Are you with me? But there is something beyond the basics of showing up and tithing, and it's called a prayer life at home. Amen. Seeking God, not just in the church building, but at home. When this congregation's spirituality and prayer lives have come up to God's standard of, of, of acceptance and approval, he'll allow me to start sharing things that I've seen. But until that time, I'm closed-lipped because I, I can't risk, uh, Mary Chris, I can't risk saying things and people speaking against it. Because these things are very important to God and they're very important to the Philippines. Oh my God, you have no idea what's coming. I've seen it. I've seen what's going to happen in that nation.
It'll curl your toenails. I can't say it because people won't believe me. I'm telling you, there's something coming. And this mental, it's all based on this mental. This mental is the empowerment. It is the grace. It is the, it is the supernatural anointing power of God to allow us to fulfill the office of an apostle and an apostolic church and to fulfill the plan for Toronto and the plan for the world. And without it, we are, we are going with a, with a BB gun against a tank. But with it, we've got some, some surging power that can take out that tank of the devil. It's very important to God. That's why I'm sharing this with you because when I talk about the mantle, you need to understand this is not just a little weird thing I'm talking about. Everything in our entire existence in terms of my ministry and the 30, 13 years of this church is connected to that one event on, Friday, on Saturday morning, December the 12th, 2020, everything was leading up to that, and that was the demarcation, and everything has happened after that is because of that. And this is the one-year anniversary. That's why I'm taking time to talk about it. That anointing didn't just come on me. It's come on every person if they're faithful to this church. Now, if you leave, you don't take it with you. It is set just for this congregation. And if you stay, it will work for you. If you'll, if you'll be spiritual and if you'll yield to it, it will work for you. Glory to God. You okay this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I woke up that yesterday, a year ago, Friday morning, December 11th, which was last year. And as soon as I opened my eyes, the Lord spoke to me and, and I felt this burning heat in my stomach and words started, words started to flow out of my mouth. Much season, much, much preparation, excuse me, much preparation. And then it stopped. And I'm telling you, I know when, when, the pro, when, the, when that gift of prophecy is operating, and it was strong, stronger than normal. And then it's like somebody put a cap like this. And I could feel the pressure coming up, but the words wouldn't come out of my mouth. And I stopped, and I said, Lord, did I, have I, have I unrepentant sin? What have I done to hurt you? Why have, I, why have I grieved you, Holy Spirit? Why are you not letting these words come forth? And he spoke to me. And he said, if you don't have enough honor to record what I'm telling you, I will not speak to you. And I grabbed my phone and I pushed my little record button on my app. Pay attention, brothers and sisters. Your memory is not that great. Especially when we're dealing with words that are very specifically worded. And in the past, you might have to get a, a secretary to come in the room. But now we have technology. Use it. And I put my hand and I pushed the record. And as soon as I touched the record button, that thing went and the it just came out of me like this. Almost like I had, it's almost like I had no control, although you do have control. But it just was so strong, the word just shot out of me. And this is exactly what I said word for word the day before the mantle came. Much preparation has been made, much to fulfill the assignment, much praying, much waiting, much seeking, many years of preparation. Remember from 2004 to that date. And so it comes, what you have long sought for, what you have counted as precious, what you have sought for with diligence, it comes. Remember, he's talking about all these years. It comes, it comes with force, it comes with power. It will not be stopped, it will not be hindered. It comes, it will not tarry. It comes, so prepare to receive it, because it was coming that night. And rejoice and be glad, for the Lord visits you. He shines upon you, he honors you, he visits you, and descends upon you with his precious treasure, with his precious mantle of anointing. And you'll never be the same again. It will mark you, change you. It will envelop you and protect you. This is what the anointing does. It will pick you. I love these words. It's very poetic, but God said these words. It will pick you up and carry you. It will cover you from the enemy and from those that would rise up against you. It will shield you. 
It will sustain you and nurture you. It will be like a blanket when you're cold. Oh, I love that phrase. A shield when you're attacked and a strength and a vitality to you. It will be a terror to darkness and a glory to the saints. It will be misunderstood by some, hated by others, but glorified by my people. So rejoice for it comes. It comes unto you and will remain with you for you have been found faithful and you have been found worthy, worthy for walking in the footsteps of the master. So rejoice and be glad. Lift up your voice on high. Because remember, I was feeling very weak at that point, and, and there's a lot of stuff and darkness and different things attacking me, and that's why he spoke these kind of words to me. So rejoice and be glad. Lift up your voice on high, laugh and sing aloud, joy in me. Magnify and praise me, for it is a day of celebration. Yes, a day of sobriety, a day of reverence, a day to be sober for the magnitude of what is coming, a day to be reverent, but also a day to rejoice. A day to lift up your head, wash your face, and sing and smile, and laugh and dance. For I come unto you as I have promised, and I visit you as I foretold, and it shall be a new beginning unto you, the past grateful for, the future bright, and greater than you can imagine, thus saith the Lord. And I jumped out of bed, and I spent the whole day just worshiping and praising and seeking God. And I can't share it because it's too private and, and the people are not spiritual enough to receive it. But on that last day, he gave me the biggest scripture of the entire 40-day fast. The most precious holy scripture of all the scriptures he gave me, he saved for the last day about the mantle. And I'm not permitted to share it yet, but one day I will. But he, he gave me a scripture. And it was very precious. And, I, and all day I studied that out and I prayed and I worshiped. And then that night the mantle came. And so I want to honor the mantle today by telling you the past, by letting you have an eye into hearing doctor's voice, that you can understand how important this is in the bigger picture. Because we're honoring it on its first year this year. And, and, and what, you've, what the mantle holds, you haven't seen fully yet. Because he said to me, it will come progressively. The first year will be the, the least amount. The second year will be a little bit more. The third year will be more. The fourth year will be more. And then as we build up into the Jerusalem years, it will operate at full potential power. But this last 2021 year, we haven't, we've only, we're the, less, the least ankle deep. It's not going to stay ankle deep. It's going to grow. So don't think, well, I don't really see much difference in the church between now and last year. So what's the big idea here? What's going on? It doesn't work. No, it works. It's just in the ankle stages of working. And see, God is not in a rush. He's looking for faithfulness. He's looking for how I act toward it. I can't tell you because it's private, but he told me that that fast is to continue every year. But he said, you don't have to do 40 days in a row. You don't have to do it in a row. But he told me how many days that I need to fast per year. And it's a heck of a lot more than 40. It's in the three digits of fasting per year. But he said, you don't have to do it every in a row. So I've been building and working my way into to obey that. If I don't obey that, it will stay at ankle deep. Do you understand? I mean, just because God says something doesn't mean it's an automatic done deal. He says what he wants, but now he's looking for your obedience and for you to follow the leading of his spirit. And if you'll do that, everything he said will happen. And if you don't, I'm talking about you. Listen for your businesses. Listen for your families, your marriages. This is not just about me and the ministry. These are instructions and nuggets that apply for every area of life. If you pay attention and you do what God says, it will take time, but it will always work. If you don't, just because he said it doesn't mean it's going to happen. A lot of people think because God says it, now it's a done deal. 
when he says it, he's simply telling you what he desires to happen. But there's much, it's his will, that he's, he's giving you his will, his plan. He's showing you the path, but you still have to walk the path. And that's what I'm saying. There's certain things with me in my life, including fasting and praying, waiting on God, certain travel that I have to do next year. I don't necessarily want to do all of it in the flesh, in the natural. I don't want to be for my, for my children, my wife. There's certain things that I have to leave Canada for, which I can't talk about right now, but I have to. And he said, if you don't obey me in the travel, this mantle will stay at this shallow level. You've got to obey in your prayer life. You've got to obey in your hobby life. Because he's been dealing with me about getting certain things out that are a waste of my time, even though they're fun. If I don't obey him on the hobby, if I don't obey him on, on righteous living, which I'm doing fine on, but there's even more that I need to watch, like all of us. If I don't obey him on the praying and fasting, if I don't obey him on the traveling, if I don't preach what he tells me to preach, whether people like it or not, whether they leave or not, all of this thing will stay at ankle level. But if I continue to obey, it will grow. Uh, popes, you better pay attention. You better continue to obey or you will not qualify for this anointing that comes for the Philippines. You have qualified, and I speak by the Spirit, you have qualified, says the Lord. Yes, you have qualified in this season, but there is much to be done, many tweaks and adjustments before you move there. Continue to be aggressive in your, in your charging forward in the tweaks and the corrections that I give you to make in your lives, for it is critical that you make them before you move. And if you continue the way you have, you will make it and be a great success. In Jesus' name. I say that with, with I say that by the Spirit. Don't sit back on your haunches. Don't get in your hammock and think because God called you that it's automatically going to happen. It's going to take a, a crucifixion greater than either the two of you know. And a swallowing of pride. And a swallowing of what you think is the right thing to do if you're going to make it in this anointing. So I'm, I'm speaking to you by the Spirit to help you. Praise God. Do exactly what He asks you to do. Submit exactly where He asks you to submit, both to me and to His Spirit. And you will progress from the ankle to the knee, to the thigh, to the waist, and waters to swim in. In Jesus' name. Pastor Matthew, the same goes for you. Much tweaks and adjustments to be made before you enter the shores of Liberia. Do not cast off the aggression. Press forward with all intensity and embrace the corrections that God gives, both through me and directly by the Spirit. Embrace them. Lean, I hear the Spirit of God say, Pastor Matthew, lean into the corrections. Lean into what I tell you in tweaks. Lean into it. Don't lean away from it. Lean into it. Embrace it. Receive it with all your heart and do it. And it will lead you into waters to swim in for Liberia. In Jesus' name. I thank you, Father. Now, I can't just go down the aisle and prophesy to every flag minister if the Spirit of God is not in it. I only heard him say, talk to the popes and talk to Matthew. That doesn't mean other people are not important. It just means that that's what they need to hear right now. Praise God. These are very important things. You know, Taylor has been, Taylor has had a very hard year. Taylor's had the hardest year uh, probably of his life. Have you not? Yeah. Both with me and him and with him privately because there were things that God needed him to, to change. 
And so, because his heart's right, he's worked with me, and we've made a lot of changes. And he's pleased the Lord, and now promotion is coming. But what if he had responded wrong? What if he had done what so many Christians do? You can't talk to me like that. Who do you think you are? Well, I'm God's man. And the only reason I have to talk to you is because you're too dense to hear the Holy Ghost yourself. Because if you would listen to the Holy Ghost, he would need me to correct you. Are you listening to me? If you ever come in my office and I correct you, it's because you're dense. Because you can't hear God yourself. Why? Oh, let me guess. You don't have a prayer life. It's as simple as that. See, this kind of preaching doesn't grow churches, does it, Willie? But it will grow this church. Because I'm not looking for wimps. I'm looking for warriors. If you don't have a prayer life, you're half backslidden. Just because you show up and tithe doesn't mean much to God. It means a lot in some ways, like he said in the offering. But there's something so much greater than just showing up to church and then living fleshly all week. He's looking for people with prayer lives. How long do you wait on him a day? Time yourself. You'd be shocked at how little you do. With all your busyness, how many hours? In most cases, it's minutes. How many minutes do you actually shut everything off and lift your hands and worship him and pray in your holy language? heavenly language and read the word and receive revelation from the word and pray out and wait on him. How many minutes a day do you do that? Because until you up it, you're not spiritual. I don't know why the Lord keeps having me say that, but obviously he needs people. He needs people to be a little bit spanked on this anniversary service because God, what God doesn't like is a bunch of religious hypocrites coming to church, making it look like you're all that and all this. I'm all that. And you're, you're a hypocrite because at home you're not. He's looking for prayer lives. He's not looking as much for if your hands are raised or they'll raise your hands. If you have a prayer life, I don't have to ask you to tithe. If you have a prayer life, I don't have to beg you for ministry of helps. If you have a prayer life, I don't have to say evangelize and invite somebody. If you have a prayer life, it comes out of you. If you have a prayer life, I don't have to talk to you about pornography. It will break. Prayer is the key to everything. How much do you see God? Teenagers, look at me. How much do you see God? Because you're in hell in those schools. You are living in, in gross darkness. And your friends and the teachers and the celebrities and the media and everybody is influencing you. If teenagers don't pray and seek God, the devil will take them. This is not a game we're playing. I tell my teenage boys, the spirit of the world's trying to come on them. And, and they're around secular people all the time. And I tell them, if you don't pray, I can only hold it off for you from, so, from you for so long. Because you're not a baby anymore. You're now of age. The government lets you drive. Eventually lets you drink. You're of age. I can hold off certain things, but the older you get, the more responsible you are before God. And if you don't seek him yourself, those demons will come after you. And I'm not trying to scare people. I'm telling you, this is real life. This is real life. Just sit in some of the counseling sessions with me and you'll realize how real and raw life is. When I talk to people that have been raped and I talk to people that, whose husband beats them to a pulp and I talk to people that have been raped as little children and I talk to people that have gone through hell. I mean hell. You, you didn't need a little bubble. Life is raw. And people are hurting. 
And the only way to get out of it is, yes, come to church to hear the word, but you can't just do that. You've got to go home and you've got to have church every day, every day, every day in your own home. You've got to seek him in your own home. You've got to fall in love with him in your own home. And then church is an overflow of what is in your personal life. For most people, church is the big event. Church is never to be the big event. Church is to be the overflow of the fullness of your heart. If you come into church empty, you failed. It means you don't have a prayer life. If I have to fill you up on Sunday, you've missed the boat. Well, I come in church to be built up. No, you missed it. You're supposed to be filled up Monday to Saturday. And you come in and the overflow of that is church. The reinforcement, the strengthening is there. But it's not your core. Your core is your prayer life. I don't even know why I'm talking about this because it's not part of my sermon, Taylor. But the Holy Ghost is trying to get the ring somebody's bell today. Is he ringing your bell? Is he ringing your bell? Because he's trying to ring your bell. And you won't find most churches where pastors talk like this because they're afraid you'll be offended. They're afraid you'll leave. You're going to leave, leave. God will replace you. I don't want you to leave. He built you as a living stone in this wall. Stay the course with me. Run the race with me. And take your licks along the way because I take mine. Whom God chastens, he loves. The pastor loves you, he corrects you. The pastor doesn't really love you. He'll just tell you you're all, you're all great. No, you're not all great. Some of you are great. Some of you are good. Some of you are okay. Some of you are rotten. I'm just telling you the truth about it. But all the rotten ones can become great. I'm talking, when I say rotten, I don't mean that you're a bad person. I mean in your spiritual prayer life at home. In your spirituality. True spirituality. Not church spirituality. Private spirituality. What you think when nobody's watching, when nobody's there. What you look at when nobody watches. How you talk. Private spirituality. How much you pray. Some are rotten. But God has an amazing power, Lorraine, to take what's rotten and make it perfect. If you'll just pray and wait on him. I'm fasting three digits. I won't tell you how much because none of your business. But I'm fasting three digits a year. Well over 100 days a year. Because see, and I thought, we need, I said, you crazy, Lord. I barely could get through 40. It was a miracle. He said, I didn't ask you to do it all at once, but I'm asking you to do it. If you don't, it will stay at ankle deep. You want this mantle to grow? Obey me. And I'm not going to let it fail, Vesna. There are thousands of souls in other countries on the other side of my obedience. There are thousands in Toronto on the other side of this mantle and my obedience to it. Fasting and seeking and getting out certain things in my life is a small price to pay for the glory of God. We are honoring the mantle today. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, it's 128. We started at 11.05. I'm supposed to be finished in two minutes. But the Spirit of God led a little differently, and your chicken will have to wait. I need, I need 15 more minutes. Can you give me 15 more minutes? Because he said, I need you to tell them the phrases of the mantle, which I got off on a bunny trail, but it was a spiritual bunny trail, believe me. God was ringing some of your bells. I hope you're listening. Hallelujah. He said to me on the fast, there are seven phrases of the mantle. I've never shared them publicly to this measure. And I want to read you the seven scriptures about it. Can you do that with me? 
So the first one, if you'd put the first one up, he said to me, the mantle is the power of the Spirit of Jesus. You say, I don't understand what that means. Well, if you look at Luke chapter 4, that's the scripture, Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. For sake of time, I won't read you the other verses, but if you study it, he, the, the, the Spirit of God came on him in the form of a dove at the, at the Jordan. And instead of turning around, Jenny, everybody came in the Jordan. I never saw this until Barbados. I, everybody came to John, turned around, and went back. Jesus was the only one that came to John, went under the water. The Spirit came, God spoke, and he kept walking. He crested the eastern bank. I never saw that. Because as soon as he came up, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Everybody else went back to the cities. But he went to the wilderness. He actually went right through the whole Jordan, just like Jacob did. Just like Joshua and the children of Israel did. He actually traversed the whole Jordan. He stopped midway to be baptized. And then he crested the eastern bank and went into his 40-day fast. It was a perfect picture of what Jacob did. So when Jesus came up out of the water, the Bible says he was full of the Spirit, but he didn't have power. There's a difference. He was full of the Spirit and was led into the wilderness, but he didn't have power when he went in. You can be full of the Holy Ghost, but not have an anointing. He was full inside of a love for God, an obedience to God, in hearing God, obeying in, 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 the, in, the, in the water baptism. He was full of God, but he didn't have the power of God. There's a difference. He went into the wilderness full of the Spirit, but without power. But the Bible says he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit, which means in the wilderness he got a mantle. He never had it when he entered, but he got it when he was there. And this is the first verse God gave me. He said, on your 40-day fast, you're going in without that mantle. You're coming out with it, just like Jesus did. And he said, the power of the Spirit, the mantle is the power of the Spirit of Jesus. Hallelujah. That's one phrase. The second phrase that he said to me is the power, the mantle is the crown of David. And this is in 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 4. 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 4. And the Bible says, And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. This is after all the years of Ziglag. Saul has just died on Mount Gilboa with Jonathan. He comes into Hebron. Verse 1 says, where do I go, Lord? He says, go to Hebron. And Lorraine, all of these years, he was the king in waiting. But now they all come down and they anoint him, put a crown on his head, and he sits down on that throne as the king of Judah. He's not the king of Israel yet because that didn't happen until seven and a half years later when he went to Jerusalem. But the first phase of his ministry, he was king over the ten southern tribes. Praise God. And that's what happened. That when that mantle came, it was like, remember he said you're going to sit down on some things like David? Remember he prophesied that in 19, we're going to sit down on some things? In other words, there's a, there's a coronation. That mantle, that assignment, that grace is like a crown. It's like, it's like an empowerment to, be, to do the job. Yes. He needed it to be a king. Yes. Jesus needed it for his ministry. Do you see it? Yes. 
The third person that needed it was Elisha. Elisha needed it for the prophet's office. And it's called the mantle of Elisha. And of course, you know these very well, but 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 13, I'm just giving you scriptures. 2 Kings chapter, 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 13, and it says, And he took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. This is just after he ripped his clothes. This is just after Elijah went in the whirlwind after the distraction of the, of, the, of the horse of fire. He picked up the mantle. See, God called it an Elisha, he called it a mantle. Dr. Dufresne called it a mantle. But the mantle means these different things. It means the power of the spirit. It means the crown. It means the mantle of Elisha. The fourth one that he said to me, like I said, there's seven. He, he said, it's the sword of Joshua. Remember I said after doctor yelled at me on June 28th, 2010, the first thing I did was I went and I prayed all day. <laughs> And the Lord gave me this scripture in Joshua chapter 5. And it's Joshua chapter 5 and verse 13 to 15. And the Bible says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Neither. But as a captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. I'm not for you or for them, I'm for God. If you're with God, I'm with you. And Joshua fell on his face of the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host, which is Jesus, we learn in chapter 6, it's Jesus, said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua just remembered Moses, took his shoes off. When you have an encounter with God, there's no shoes. Now why, what is, why did he call it the sword? Because he showed me on the fast. He said, when I came to him, he, the Lord said to me, Pay attention to the words in the scripture. I don't waste words. The fact that it says I had a drawn sword in my hand is very relevant. It's very critical for the story. Because what was Joshua's assignment? Elisha's assignment was the prophet's office. David's assignment was the king. Jesus' assignment was the savior of the world. Well, what was Joshua's assignment? War. His assignment was to conquer the land and divide it amongst the tribes. So when Jesus came with the drawn sword, what was he saying? I have come with an anointing of conquest. I have come with a mantle of war. Have you ever heard of such a thing? There is something called a mantle of war. It's powerful. And when I enter these foreign countries, the mantle for war will come on. It's already on me. It came on me a year ago. But when I come, that is going to kick into high gear. Because when we're dealing with witchcraft and stuff that Canada knows nothing about, we're going to need a mantle of war. There's a warring mantle in God. And he said to me, it's the sword of Joshua. It's beautiful, man. It's so precious to me. The next one, number five, he said, it's the blessing of Jacob. Genesis 32 and verse 26. Genesis 32 and verse 26. And this is Jacob wrestling, of course, as you know. And he saith, let me go. This was Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ that came to wrestle with him. For the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let you go except you bless me. See, he was contending. That's what that fast was all about. In fact, that was what from 2004 to 2020 was all about. Contending. And he said, verse 28... Thy name, he said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, thy name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince, thou hast power with God and with men and has prevailed. Israel means to contend with God and to prevail as a prince and to get power with God. And that's in essence what we do when we fast. We are contending. 
And then because we, we don't quit, we prevail and we get more power. That's why Jesus said, this kind does not come out but by prayer and fasting, because fasting gives you power. And he was wrestling all night. You've heard me preach it, so I don't want to go over it again. But you remember when he was on that that all night, that all night wrestling with God. You know what it represented? It, it represented a lot of things for him. He was at night, which is darkness. Not only was there spiritual darkness, Jesus was wrestling with the devil. He, he dealt with the devil in the wilderness. There's a spiritual assault when you are going to those private times. But the night represented a time of no light. Light represents productivity. On the fast, the hardest thing for me was not food. The hardest thing was not working. The hardest thing was not being able to email and go on this and, and be productive. But at night, there was a season that Jacob had to go through where there was no productivity, where there was wrestling and praying, where there was fasting. He felt alone. He was away from his family. Yeah. Jesus was alone. I was alone. There is a season of a nighttime that comes with a wrestling. But I said, I'm not letting you go. This fast will not end, Lord. You will not, you will not let me go. I'm contending with, for, with you for this mantle. And if you notice there, it says that after he did that, he changed his name. Then it says, and he blessed him. Did I read that to you? And he blessed him there. Jacob a answered and said, tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, why do you ask me my name? In other words, he's not going to tell him. And Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, the Lord, blessed Jacob there. Verse 29. When he blessed him, you see, Jacob was coming into a new phase. He's now out of Laban. He's out of, he's coming into the promised land. He's coming into his assignment. Can you see that? In Laban, he was blessed, but he wasn't in his assignment. His assignment is in the land of promise, the land of his grandfather, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was coming into his assignment and he needed a special anointing to fulfill it. And when God blessed him, he gave him that mantle. You see, the mantle is the power of the Spirit. It is the crown of David, the mantle of Elisha, the sword of Joshua, and the blessing of Jacob. Praise God. Number six, he said to me, it is the run of Elijah. And this is in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 41. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 41, and I'll read it to you. This is Elijah, and he, and he, and he, he says, he kills the prophets of Baal. And in verse 41, and he says to Ahab, get up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of an abundance of rain. There was no rain. How could he hear the rain? The rain hadn't even come yet. Because as a prophet, he was hearing into the realm of spirits. The gift of the discerning of spirits is to see or hear into the realm of the spiritual. As a prophet, he could hear rain. But he couldn't see it with his eyes. So he says to the carnal man, because Ahab represents the flesh church, go have a party. But the spiritual man, which represents the spiritual church, goes up to pray. Yes. What are you? Are you an Ahab or are you an Elijah? At the time where God is moving, do you go eat and drink and party? Or do you go up and put your face between your knees and birth in prayer, the, the move of God for our city? You see how I'm bringing up prayer life? You see how the Holy Ghost is weaving in prayer life to this? Because the carnal ones don't pray. The Ahabs don't pray. But the spiritual ones get on their knees and they pray. Because they have to birth the plan of God. And Elijah said, get up. The sound of the abundance of rain. So Ahab went up, verse 42, to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. He didn't eat or drink. He cast himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. The birthing position. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and he said, there's nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And it came to pass on the seventh time that he said, behold, there arise a little cloud out of the sea, 
like a man's hand. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot. Get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. Sometimes it's little things that we see. Don't underestimate the small day of beginnings. Because when you're spiritual and you're praying and you see just the smallest of God's hand moving, you act like it's a massive move. That's faith. That's faith. And go prepare that chair, the rain stop you not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode on his chariot and went to Jezreel. But the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. When you're a prayer, the hand of the Lord will be upon you. When you're a not prayer, you trust in your chariots. You trust in your way of doing things, the natural realm. But when you're a prayer, the hand of God comes on you. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he girded up his loins and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. It wasn't just on the Superman movie. There has been a human being that has outrun an Arabian stallion. The best horse in the land belonged to the king. Do you know how fast they run? Up to 40 miles an hour. And one man, Usain Bolt, Mr. Lightning, has got nothing on Elijah under the anointing. He beat an Arabian stallion. And God said to me, he prayed, he birthed, and my hand or my power, my anointing came on him. And it caused him to accelerate. And he said, the mantle is the run. It's the acceleration by the power of God. Hallelujah. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. And the last is the staff of Moses. This is the last instruct, this is the last symbol that he gave me on the fast of the mantle. And it's Exodus chapter 3 and verse 2, and then we're done. Thank you for hanging with me. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 2. And Moses, uh, he kept his father's sheep. He's on backside of the wilderness in Herob. Verse 2, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in the flame of fire in the midst of the bush. And Moses looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Now watch now, verse 4. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside, what was God looking for? Interest. What did some of you have to do? Turn aside from your busy, busy, busy lives and wait on God. When God sees your interest to seek him, in a prayer life, he will speak. If you can't hear him, it's because you're not praying. And if you're praying, you're not praying enough. Are you listening to me? There's answers coming, I'm telling you. I can feel the anointing. It's totally different in this service and the first service. But there are answers for the people, honey. There are answers for the people if they'll listen. In fact, let me just say, just, I don't want to, Lorraine's going to be mad at me for saying this. But if you want a stronger flow of the Holy Ghost, come to the 11 o'clock. That's all I'm saying. I'm serious. The nine o'clock, I'm under pressure. When you're under pressure, you can't operate in the, in the gifts the same way. You can't flow because the time crunches on you. But the 11 o'clock, I have a little bit, not to take advantage of the time, but I have more freedom because I don't have another group coming in. If you want more of the flow of the Holy Ghost, come to the 11. I know, Lorraine, you're not going to like me saying that. He looked for the interest. He looked for the interest. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, draw not neither hither. Put off your shoes from off the thing for the place where thou standest is holy ground. Remember, and then he has this long talk with God. 
And he keeps saying, I can't do it. I can't do it. Oh, God, I can't do it. And God got angry with him and said, shut up. That's the field version of the Bible. It says, and God was angered by the words of Moses. Sounds real sweet. My version is, shut up, idiot. That's really what God was telling him. Be quiet. If I tell you can do it, you can do it. And then in chapter 4 and verse 17, you see the rod mentioned. And he says now, and thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. What was the physical symbol of the mantle or the anointing or the power? It was a rod. We don't need a rod. We've got it inside us in the New Testament because the Holy Ghost is inside us. The Holy Ghost couldn't be inside Moses. He was on him. But the Spirit of God is in us in the New Testament. So we don't need a rod. We've got the name and we've got authority. But the rod represented the anointing. And God said this mantle has come. This anointing has come inside us. We don't need crowns and rods and, and garments we don't need those physical things it's inside us but he's giving me symbolic value and he said Craig the mantle is the power of the spirit of Jesus the mantle is the crown of David the mantle is the mantle of Elisha it is the sword of Joshua the blessing of Jacob the run of Elijah and the staff of Moses and he said and it's yours for what I've assigned you to do. I asked him to be a king. I asked him to be the savior of the world. David a king. Elisha a prophet. Joshua a warrior. I asked Jacob to be an entrepreneur. I asked Elijah to be a prophet and Moses to be a deliverer. Every one of their assignments needed an anointing. Every one of them got an anointing to do their job. We need the anointing to do our jobs. And that came a year ago today, and I'm honoring it today because it has already built ankle deep, and it needs to go to knee deep. And as I obey God, and as you obey God, it will grow. Can I say it, Lord? Mm, I don't know if I should say that. I'll say this, and then I'll close. I'll, t I'll, I'll taper down what, what I was going to say. One of the things the Lord has shown me, because I've been so concerned about the spirituality of this church and its ability to hinder my call. Do you understand? Yes, sir. You, I thought, can ruin me if you don't pray. I can't make you pray. I can only preach and pray for you to get it. Yes, We're not a cult. We don't force. The Spirit of God never forces, but He does present it, and sometimes aggressively, because He's trying to save souls. And I've been wrestling with Him all this year. Lord, these, what if they don't get it? What if they won't do it? What if they won't do it? I can't make them do it. Can they have the power to ruin my future? And He showed, I can't say everything, but I can say at least this. He said to me recently, He said, if the people don't do it, your apostle's office will go forth, but your primary ministry will be outside the land of Canada, and you will not be in Canada very much. Are you listening to me? Yes, sir. And I can't say more because he showed me exactly what it would look like if you don't do it. I know exactly when I'm leaving. I know how long I'm staying. I know where I'm going. I even know where I'm going to live partly, and I will be in Canada very rarely. 
And he said to me, the apostle's office will go forth, whether the people obey me or not. But your primary emphasis will be global missions. You will not be on this land very often because the people will disregard, if they disregard. Are you listening to me? He said, but that is not my perfect will. That is what will happen if they refuse. Remember, the children of Israel were stubborn. They refused. He said, but pray that the people get it. Lorraine, Pauline prayers. Pray Pauline prayers over the congregation that revelation will come because it's God's will for me not to leave. But I'm telling you, I will leave. I will. He's already shown me where I'm to go and how long I'm to live there for if this congregation doesn't step up in the next number of years. He's giving you lots of mercy. I wasn't going to say this, Jenny. This is something I don't really want to share. But I, I feel like I just need, because there's been an emphasis on your prayer life. And I feel you need to know something. I'm very important to the plan of God. And I, don't, and I say that with tremendous humility. But my office is very valuable to the kingdom of God. And I have not spent 30 years preaching, plus many more years saved, for a game. This is, this is a very holy, sacred thing. This mantle is very sacred to me. And it is not right that I give my life to something for it to be stunted because of a bunch of people that won't get spiritual. And I said, Lord, what if they don't? And he told me, you will leave Canada. You will not be in that pulpit in this church very often. You will be occasionally, but not very often. And I will give you the work that I will call you to if your congregation does not listen to me. There is another work, but it is not my primary plan. It is my secondary plan, but that apostle's office will not be stunted. Are you listening to me? But he said to me, my primary will, the highest flow is that your church gets it. You will still go, but you will not be gone, not nearly as much if they get it. The glory center will come to pass. If they don't get it, the glory center is not coming to pass. If they get it, the glory center comes to pass. The revival the Dr. Dufresne prophesied in Toronto will happen. But the congregation has to get it. If they don't get it, your call in office will continue, but you will not be in Canada hardly at all. There will be a revival in another country, and I can't tell you where, but he told me there's going to be a revival in another country, and you're going to be right in the middle of it. And he said that revival will happen in my primary highest, but you won't be there very often. You'll be in Canada most of the time and there some of the time. But it will invert itself if the congregation doesn't obey. You will be there most of the time and in Canada a very little bit of time. And I'm talking about, he said to me, they've got, uh, I wasn't going to say these things, but he said to me, they've got the season of Hebron to get this. If they don't get it in Jerusalem years, there will be a change. So I'm just telling you as a congregation, I'm not trying to scare you, I'm just telling you. This is not a game. God is not playing games. The darkness is very dark and the devil is very real. And, and, and the call and the souls that wait on the other side of our obedience are very real. And God is not playing games anymore. He is looking for a church of people that are spiritual. And people that will pray. And if you don't do it, when the Jerusalem years come in 2027 and onward, I will not be in this pulpit very often. I will be gone. And that's God's will. Because he's not, he's not going to force people to do something that they won't do. But if we will pray, Errol, for the people. If you will pray for your brothers and sisters like Epiphras did. And pray that they would catch it. That they would become spiritual people. If you do that, the glory center at the end of Hebron will come to pass. 
As we enter our Jerusalem years, the highest flow will happen. Whereas I am here most of the time and there some of the time. If you don't listen, he showed me, uh, I saw the table, it turned like this. This is how he wants it to be. If they don't listen, it does this. I am there most of the time and I am here some of the time. Okay? Because God is not playing games. This is a serious, serious thing. So I can only present, I'm not saying it from a manipulative perspective, like, oh, if you love me, you'll pray because then I'm going to leave. I, you probably don't like me that much anyway, so maybe you'd be happy that I'd leave. I don't know. I'm not trying to play games. I'm just take, stating you a fact. We got to pray. We've got to be spiritual in this season. He's giving us 2022, 3, 4, 5, 6, and part of 7. We have five and a half years to get this. Vesna. Maurizio, I'm calling you out as an example. You're certainly not the only ones, but you're an example. You're a spiritual people. Pray for the congregation that they would catch this. Lorraine, pray for the congregation. You out there, pray as Epiphas prayed. This congregation has to catch it. My call will go on regardless. But God wants that call to be primarily in Canada for our beautiful country and our beautiful city. And can I tell you, I've, I've had a, for lack of a better word, especially during COVID times, a feeling of hatred for Canada has come into my heart. Like a deep, deep hatred for this country because I can't stand the way our government handles things. I look at other countries, Britain and America and others, and there's so much more normal than we are. We are so strict. We are so afraid. We are so tolerant. Sin abounds and replenishes without any pushback. And Randy, God told him during his fast while I was fasting, there are two primary spirits over America. Rebellion and religion. And he said to him, there are two primary spirits over Canada. Tolerance and fear. If you look at our country, we are governed by fear. And we are governed by that demon of tolerance. That's why all this stuff with sexuality and everything is just pluming. Because we're tolerant of everything. And we're afraid of everything. And for a warrior like me, I can't take that. I just can't take that. I can't, I'd much rather have the rebellion and the religion. Don't give me tolerance and fear. I'll rip it to shreds. But God put me here. And a hatred has come for this country. And so now when God tells me the church, if they don't do it, you're going to leave. But I already hate where I am. Can you understand? That part of me feels like, well, it's good if the church doesn't do it because I want to leave. But that's not right. That's not good will of God. So my wife corrected me. Thank God for a good wife. She did, by the Spirit. She corrected me. And she said to me recently, she said, thus saith the Lord. She prophesied to me. She said, your heart is turning against the land that God has called you to. And if you don't repent of your behavior and your attitude, you will abort the plan of God in, in, in Canada. You can't minister where place you hate. And the devil was trying very subtly through this COVID thing to get me angry with this country. And it's not that the country's right, they're wrong, but I can't let it get into me. 
And so recently, Jenny, I've taken your advice. I've taken the correction. And I've been saying, God, give me a heart for Canada. And if you listen, when Dr. Dufresne was just talking, he said, whenever I think about Toronto, and he started getting emotional, he said, I have such a heart for Toronto. I have such compassion for Toronto. I know that, and when I heard that again today, I've already been dealing with it, but when I heard it again this morning, in the second, and I missed it in the first service, but in the second service, when I heard that phrase, I heard the Holy Ghost say, that anointing, it won't work if there's not a compassion for the city. You've got to love Toronto. Not love what they're doing, but love the, love the people. Otherwise, revival can't come. So can you understand? God is tweaking me. Let God tweak you so that we can fulfill the plan together and do it the way God envisioned it. Not this way, this way. Either way, there's going to be a revival overseas. But God wants a revival here. He's not going to stop the revival there because there's no revival here if the people won't listen. We're still going to have the revival over there, but it will invert it. His highest flow is to keep it topside right. Canada be the primary, international be the secondary. But he can only do that if the people get spiritual and have prayer lives. Are you with me? Father, I thank you for the mantle, for the power of the spirit, the crown of David. Put it back up, please. I thank you for the mantle of Elisha, the sword of Joshua, the blessing of Jacob, the run of Elijah, and the staff of Moses. I thank you for what came after years of preparation from 2004 to 2020. I thank you, Lord, for what came a year ago today. We honor it. We highly esteem it. It was precious and holy. It was an empowerment for our assignment and for our office so that we can fulfill the revival in Toronto and around the world as you have called us to in that, that apostle's office. Father, I've taken time today in this service, much by the Spirit. The first service was much more rigid. But Father, in this service, I got into the things of the, that pertain to the Spirit because I'm not as rushed. And Lord, I know that they look at their clock, but if they're spiritual, they'll stop looking at their clock. When I was with Dad Hagen, I never looked at my clock. I just wanted the prophet to minister by the Spirit as long as he wanted. Spiritual people don't have time frames on services. Spiritual people come hungry and they want to stay until the Spirit lifts off the preacher. Help them to become spiritual, Father, even in the timings of how they expect Sunday to go. So, Father, we thank you that we, I feel that anointing lift off me, so I know I'm done. But, Lord, for what was said today, not just in the predetermined sermon, but what was said by the Spirit about prayer lives, about seeking you, about turning aside. Lord Jesus, when Pastor, when Pastor Nancy came in October of 19, the first thing she said on the first service was Moses turned aside. When Brother Greer came in December of 19, the first thing he said on the first sermon was Moses turned aside. Both prophets, without knowing each other, had said it, said about Exodus chapter 3, verse 2 to 4 at their first part of their first message. And you spoke to me and said, I am giving you a sign and a wonder for both to say the same thing at the same time. It is a time, it is a season to turn aside from your busy trappings of life and to seek me for the mantle. And I did that in 2020 and the mantle came. But Father, it wasn't just for 2020. This turning aside, this spirituality, this prayer life is for all of Hebron and all of Jerusalem and all of our years until we hear Jesus call us from the clouds. It is a constant turning aside. It is a constant being a Mary, not a Martha. It is a constant in seeking you like Elijah on the mountaintop. This is how we birth the plan of God. This is how we see the hand of God move. It is a prayer life.
So Lord, help them to catch the revelation that their prayer life is supremely critical to the future of this church and of their own personal prosperity. They need to be led so that they don't make mistakes in their future. So they don't marry the wrong person and fail in business and fail with kids and fail in this and fail in that. They need to have success, but that only comes by a prayer life. Church is so important, but it's not the only thing. Prayer life at home is just as important, if not more. So, Father, help them catch it. If they have a prayer life at home, it will drive them to church. It will drive them to tithe. It will drive them to evangelize. It will drive them in every other area of their life. But it all comes with what are we going to do tomorrow morning? When on Monday, December 13th, are we going to seek God? Lord, let that thought ring in their mind as they go to sleep tonight. Let it ring in their hearts as they wake up tomorrow morning. When today do I spend time with Jesus? And let us be spiritual people, Father. Because the future of this church depends on it. And my being in Canada depends on it. And I want them to get it so that I can fulfill the plan in this city. But I need their help. I cannot do it alone. So I thank you, Father, that you're moving on hearts today. You're stirring them. Those that are watching by way of live stream, you're stirring them too. Father, get rid of this COVID stuff, Father. I'm asking you. I need them back together. I need them back together. I need them back together in a single service so that I can flow so everybody can hear what I'm preaching when I get into the things that pertain to the Spirit. Because right now, only this group have heard it. The nine o'clocks haven't heard this. And everybody has to hear this. So Lord, help us get back together to a single service, Lord. Help us to do that. Help the situation to turn. In Jesus' name, we commend it to turn. In Jesus' name, we commend it to turn and to get all these restrictions lifted and us get back to normalcy. For it is important the congregation hears words together. We give you praise and we give you honor in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you and we glorify you. We praise you, Jesus, and we love you.